Good morning, everybody. Hey, I am excited for us to continue in our series, All In. Have you guys been enjoying this series? I think this is probably, I've been in ministry for 25 years now, I think it is, and this is the longest series I've ever taught. I've, I loved it, though. And by the way, if you're just joining us, uh, this series, All In, really, it's a series where we're just going chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. And I don't know about it, you guys, but I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed the preparation uh, for it. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the book of Acts chapter 14. So you can turn there in your Bibles if you would. But before we do, let me just ask a question. Who here has ever ridden a bull before? Raise your hand. All right. Now, mechanical bulls don't count. We're talking about real bulls here. All right, because I've ridden a mechanical bull. That ain't, okay, we got some bull riders in here. All right, some bull riders. Okay, that's good. That's good. Well, I want to tell you just a little quick story, if I can, about a bull named Bushwhacker. Mm -hmm. Bushwhacker is known as the baddest bull on the planet. Now, Tyson was the baddest man on the planet, but Bushwhacker was the baddest bull on the planet. And he was 1,700 pounds of bad intentions. I mean, just to put that in perspective, because I don't know if you could grasp how heavy that is, like, that was close to my first car, okay? 1,700 pounds. And when Bushwhacker first came on the scene, no one could ride him. As a matter of fact, he held a PBR, professional bull riding, streak of 42 consecutive buck-offs. Now, if you don't know anything about professional bull riding, like, that was the longest streak ever in the history of bull riding. And to say that Bushwhacker has fans, well, that is an understatement. He has a Facebook page. He has a Wikipedia. He has a Twitter account. And watch this. Here, here's one devoted fan. Can you see that? We can't see it because of the circuit. Okay. Can, can, we, can we kill the light for just a second? Because you've got to see this. This is awesome. Just in case any of you are here and you're thinking about getting a really cool tattoo, maybe this will inspire you this morning once you fall in love with the bull, which is called Bushwhacker. I'm talking and trying to kill some time while they turn the lights off. There we go. There's Bushwhacker. Come on. That's what you call devotion right there. I could preach about that and ask how devoted we are to Jesus, but I won't use that as an opportunity right now. Cool? You guys can turn the lights back on. That's good. But Bushwhacker, his 42 consecutive buck-offs, his streak, it eventually came to an end. A man that Bushwhacker had previously thrown off ended the streak. Marcus Marilock, who got destroyed by Bushwhacker on his very first attempt, wrote him. Like the first time, he barely made it two seconds. And the ride, it left Marcus with some serious injuries. And so for the next two years, Marcus went through rehab and during that rehab, he stood on a medicine ball every single day so that he could get a good, strong 
grip on the center of gravity to be able to go back and conquer that bull. So after two years of rehab and conditioning, Marcus set out to ride old bushwhacker again. But this time, he opted to not wear his bulletproof vest like he did the first time. He also chose to not wear his helmet, but instead, he said, just give me my hat, and he put his cowboy hat on. Marcus then did what no man had ever done. He rode bushwhacker. He wrote him for a full eight seconds. As a matter of fact, he wrote him full a full uh, 10 seconds to where he successfully hopped off on his own. Now, whenever the, whenever the uh, reporters came to him and asked him, they said, why were you so confident with this ride as opposed to the first one? And here's what Marcus said, and I quote, the first time he owned me, the second time I owned him. Now, I'll tell you this story because I want to ask the question, what bull do you need to ride again? Like, what has thrown you and tried to take you out? What thing has owned you? What thing has had possession of you? But now, it's time for you to face this thing. I'm talking about ownership of what previously had owned you, only this time you are going to face this thing with a greater power, a greater authority, a greater sense of identity, and, I, and forgive the cliche, but you're going to go and grab the bull by the horns. And you're going to do so with the understanding of who you are in Christ, knowing that the spirit of the living God lives on the inside of you. Are you with me? Like this isn't your first rodeo. Are you with me if I can say it that way? Because God has shown you a few things. He's shown you what it means to trust in him with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding. He's given you some revelation as to what it means to submit yourself to God, resist the devil, knowing then that he must flee. Well, in our text today, Acts chapter 14 we see the disciples up against some bushwhackers. And we see them get bucked off a time or two. But then we see them get right back up. Hey, church, listen to this. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. And my prayer for you today is that you will see that whenever trials, persecution, or difficulties come, God's people don't give up. God's people are not to quit. Why? Because your story isn't over. Hey, listen, some of you here may feel like it is, but look, that's just the end of the chapter. It's not the end of the book. Philippians 1.6 says this. He says that he will be faithful to complete the work which he has began within us. And so we grab hold of that, brothers and sisters. We grab hold of that, knowing that every promise of God is yes and amen. Can I just tell you something? Every book that I have ever read in my life always saves the best for the last. Are you with me? Then let's, let's pray and let's get into God's word. Father, I pray now that you would just open our hearts, Lord, to receive your word. God, thank you for your word, God. Thank you, Lord, that you sent it to heal us. Heal us, Lord, spirit, soul, and body, so we invite you. 
Lord. Precious Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. You said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So I pray today, God, that our hearts would just be found as fertile soil by which your word could land. So do your bidding in each of us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you should be in Acts chapter 14 by now. We're going to start in verse 1. The scripture says, now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop throughout this chapter, and I'm going to give a little bit of commentary as I read each of the verses. And I want to just first highlight what we see right here in verse 1. Notice where it says, they spoke in such a way. They spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles believed. Now, what do you think that means? What do you think that way is that it's referring to? I think that it could mean several things. Like, first of all, I think that it means the wisdom by which they spoke. Like much in the same way that we read about with Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. And I mention this because as followers of Jesus, God promises to give us wisdom. And thank God that he does, amen, because without wisdom, then we're going to be limited to our own understanding. James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That means when I don't know how to best handle my kids, I can go to God. When I don't know whether I should put my money in the stock market or in, in, a, in a CD, I can go to God. Whether I don't know whether I should stay at my current job or whether I should go look for another one, I can go to God. When I find my marriage struggling, I can go to God. Friends, no matter what we find ourselves up against in life, we don't have to rely on our own understanding, but we can go to God and ask him for wisdom for our everyday lives. But I don't think that the scripture is just referencing wisdom in verse 1, but it's also talking about the boldness, the conviction, and the authority that they had when they spoke. This is a key point that I hope that Christians grab a hold of here because way too many believers think that like advancing to the kingdom of God was meant for someone else other than them. But what you need to understand is that God's power is not limited to a few select individuals. It's available to all who would receive it. And the power that we're talking about here is the power for us to advance the kingdom of God in every area of our life. Like God wants to empower us to be the people that he's called us to be. He wants to empower us to be the, the spouses that he's called us to be. He wants to empower us to be good employees and good employers and business owners who operate with integrity. He wants to give us the strength to raise our kids in the way in which they should go. And he wants to empower each and every one of you to be a light in a dark world. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but in almost every single message that I preach, I always emphasize the importance of knowing and recognizing who you are in Christ 
and what God has made available to you. Matter of fact, when you look throughout the scripture, I'm just kind of taking cue from what I see from the early writers, right? I mean, as a matter of fact, King David in Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2, says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I feel like I could camp out on that verse right there just for a little while because right there is a key to finding breakthrough. Did you know that? Because it says, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and what? All. This series is called All In. David didn't say, bless the Lord when I feel like it. He didn't say, you know, bless the Lord with part of my soul, with part of my being. He said, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. That means that even whatever I don't feel like praising God. Church, I'll tell you what. I know that there are tough weeks. I know there are tough days. I've been through a lot of them. There's days that the weather's nasty. But when we show up at the house of God, I'm telling you, hear me, church. This is my heart. The worship leader should never have to be up there to try to get us to lift our hands and pray. Man, we should have that privilege and that honor. Why? Because he's worthy, church. And he's worthy of it regardless of whether we feel it or not. And you know what? If all of a sudden you start praising him, even when you don't feel it, all of a sudden you might start feeling it. Hello? Yeah, I found that to be true in my life. Times when I feel like not worshiping God, but I don't worship him based on how I feel. I worship him based on, on what he deserves. Then in that place, we find freedom. And that's what David's talking about when he says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. But then he goes on because he doesn't stop there. He says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Come on, chew on this. This is a good verse for you to, to take home and to study, man. Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? How many of you guys would say, you know what? Right now, there's some areas of my life that are kind of in the pit. Well, the scripture says that right here, one of his benefits is that he will redeem our life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. See, a lot of Christians today, I think that they ask more of their employees or their, I'm sorry, employers than they do of God. Let me explain what I mean by that. Like whenever you're hired at a job, there's a few different things that you're going to want to ask and know, right? Like first of all, you're going to want to know what your responsibilities are. That, that's a pretty important one. But then you're going to want to ask the question, what benefits do I get? Yet most Christians never ask God, what's my benefit package? And so they go about life leaving much of what God has intended for them on the table. D.L. Moody referenced this once before. And then, by the way, in case you're sitting here saying, well, you know, if God wanted me to know what those things are, wouldn't he have told me? Yes, I agree. He did tell us. Like, it's in his word. D.L. Moody highlights this very thing when he says, I never saw a useful Christian who was not a student of the Bible. That's worth saying again. I never saw, D.L. Moody saw a lot of Christians. 
I never saw a useful Christian who was not a student of the Bible. Now, look, I know that many of you know this, but if you're just coming to church on Sunday and hearing the pastor teach from the scripture, like, that isn't enough for your walk with Christ. I had someone come up to me many years ago at church. They're not here now. Imagine that. That's okay. Uh, they said, I just wish you would teach more. And I'd preach like 45 minutes that day. I'm like, really? Okay. Um, but, you know, I thought about what they said because I, I knew what they meant by it. Uh, they wanted me to teach them the treasures that I'd uncovered, that I'd spent in time with digging into God's word. And watch this. I could do that, but... I'd rather give you all the treasure map. Are you with me? Listen to what the scripture says. Proverbs 25, 2. By the way, can, can I say this enough, church? And I love y'all. I know I challenge y'all so much, man. Um, my pastor saw me preaching. He goes, you can smile to your people a little more. I said, I hope they know I love them. So I'm going to try. I smile a lot. I'm following my pastor's instructions. See, Pastor Mark, I'm smiling. But, but I love you guys. But watch this. Like, Listen to what the scripture says there in Proverbs. It says, it's, it says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search it out. Like, look, I could come and I, I could go and, and, and hand it to you, but, and I hear so many people t- say, I'm not being fed. I'm not being fed. You know what? I don't know a physical grown adult. I've got teenagers now, and they don't ever come to me and say, feed me. Because you know why? I say, if you're hungry, there's the refrigerator. Feed yourself. Come on, parents. Good parenting point right there. It's the infants that say, feed me. I'm just saying, just throwing that out there, all right, lest you get out there and you start, I'm not being fed. Well, you know, Ah, if you're 10 years old in the Lord, watch out. I mean, that's something freaky when you're having to part the whiskers to be able to get the baby bottle in, right? Huh? Hello? I'm, okay. <laughs> Listen, I'm all about good preaching and teaching, obviously, right? I mean, like, but I think it has it a very important place in the kingdom of God. But I also know that there is a time that God instructs us to open up his word and allow the spirit of God to give us our own eyes to see and our own ears to see. I think that's why the apostle says, you don't need no man to teach you, for his spirit will teach you in all things, yet we've relied on man. There's a place for the apostles teaching. There's a place for the pastor. There's a place for that. But church, if we're relying solely upon that, man, you're not going to make it. That's probably the reason that person came to me. It was wanting me to feed them, feed them, feed them. They're not making it. They're not even in church today, right? I mean, so it's so important, so important. Scripture says that his word is a lamp into our feet. It's a light into our path. And you see, a lot of Christians, they are stumbling, not knowing their purpose, not knowing who God has called them to be and what God has called them to do. And the reason why is because their Bible is sitting on some bookshelf somewhere collecting dust. Now, if that's you, that's no judgment or condemnation, okay? It's a call. It's a call. It's a call to wake up, to rise up, and to step up to who God's called you to be. To step, I love what Eric said, for you to now step back from yourself and then allow God to step in. 
And the way that we do that is by spending time with him and in his word. I've said this to you so many times. I hope I sound like a broken record player to you. There is no substitute for time spent with God, church. Put it on my tombstone if I can just say that so many times to you. There is no substitute for time spent with Jesus. Friend, you have been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. God has called each and every one of you to do great things. You need to know that Coach Carter didn't call me this morning and confer with me what I'm about to tell you. That's the reason I was over there smiling really big because God put this same word on my heart that he put on your heart, Daniel 11:32. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Actually, one translation of that verse right there says the people who know their God, they shall prevail and succeed. Friend, if I could only convince you of what God says about you and get you to believe that, your life would be forever changed. It would, it would never be the same. I know that many of you in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you have surrendered to his call. You've hidden his word in your heart. And you know that his promises are true because you continue to experience them. But to those who have not, I just want to say to you, Friend, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like, what is it in this world that you think that tastes better? I promise you it's not. I know I say this often, but like, look, if the world was better, we wouldn't have met at church. We would have met at the bar. The bar isn't better. Let me say it again. The bar isn't better. The things of this world is only a substitute for the Holy Spirit. And if that doesn't make sense to you, it's only because you've never truly tasted and seen. You've never been all in. You've never blessed the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that was within me. Because when you begin to praise him, there's nothing better. Matter of fact, you know, we say that he fills us. Really, he causes us to overflow. Because God doesn't just fill us just for us, but he fills us in such a way. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup what? It runneth over. It overflows. And God wants to overflow through our life. That's how revival's going to happen. It's when we are spending so much time with the presence of God that we are so full that everywhere we go, it's just leaking and falling. God's love is just exuding through us. It's emulating his power through us. But it's got to be once we have sought him with all of our heart. Are y'all hearing me this morning, Destiny Church? My prayer for each and every one of you is that his word will be like honey on your lips. And that you would store up his word in your heart and that you would treasure it. Because whatever the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties in life come and they will come, his word is the one sure thing that will be left standing. And if his word is in you, guess what? You're going to be standing too. Okay. I got a little hung up on verse 1 of Acts 14. We're gonna, never going to make it out of this chapter. Let's go to verse 2. Um, Acts 14, 2 says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So here we've got in chapter 1, or verse 1 rather, we've got the disciples preaching in such a way that you know, people are coming to know the Lord. And here in verse 2, we don't even make it past the second verse and 
we've already got some bushwhackers coming against them, right? Now, let me just briefly highlight something that the scripture says. Because it says, they poisoned their minds against the brothers. Let me ask you something. In what ways do you think the devil is trying to poison people's minds today? Hmm? Yeah, that's one of them. There's actually a list that's about a, a mile long, but let me just highlight a big poison that stands out to me. Entertainment. Oh, there's, there's a big long list. We, I could preach a series on that, but like cable, Roku, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, Peacock, Amazon Prime Video, Apple TV Plus, Paramount Plus, Disney Plus, what's up with the pluses, ESPN Plus. Look, this is just, look, that's just a small sampling, just a small list of the entertainment options that are out there. Like, is there any wonder as to why we see what we see happening right now in our country? The devil has poisoned the minds of countless millions, and they don't even realize it. And watch this. I'm not talking about just the world here either. Because I would be willing to bet the farm that 90% of Christians have at least half of the entertainment sources that I just mentioned. Church, can I just tell you something? Like those things that are out there, they exist for a reason. Sure, it's, it's to make a dollar and make a profit. Of course, they're trying to do that. But most of those media outlets are bringing with it a message that is contrary to the message of Jesus. And so people have become like Acts 14, 2 says. Their minds have become poison. You say, Pastor, are you saying that I should never get on social media or, or watch TV? No, no. What I'm saying is we have a limited amount of time in any given day. And I bet if I were to ask you, what are the most important things in your life, it wouldn't be to scroll through Netflix for an hour finding something to watch. But it might be something like to get to know God better and to draw closer to him. It might be spending more time with your family or your friend. Or it might be selflessly serving someone. Just like our Savior did, Jesus. But we've got to be intentional about the things that we say that we value, lest we find ourselves being sucked in to the distraction of entertainment. Are you with me? Verse 3 goes on to say, by the way, I, I skipped this, and I, I want to share this because this is so important. I learned something about entertainment when I was doing my study. I love etymology. That's the study of a word. How many of you guys are word people, right? Lethologic, I know you are, right? Thanks for teaching me that word. Everyone else is looking like, what's that look? They're going to be Googling it later now, Jacob, because of you, right? That's trying when you try to find a word and you can't think of it, yeah. So um, I, I wasn't real sure the etymology of entertainment. So I thought, hey, let's just study the origins of it. And when I studied it, I learned something, I, and it was interesting. The word entertainment, it came from a French word, which means to amuse or to distract. 
So be careful when we give into entertainment because there is a purpose. There is a hidden agenda. And I believe that the forces of evil are behind that agenda. Again, I'm not saying don't watch TV, y'all, okay? I have a TV. I'm ready to watch the Super Bowl, okay? All right? So, yeah. But we also got to make sure that we are being intentional about the things that we value because if we don't, I can promise you that the things of this world is constantly calling. And I just spoke to entertainment. I didn't speak to your job, right? I didn't speak to your kids always calling for you. And everything else that's always got us distracted. Now, let's go to verse 3. Verse 3 goes on to say that the disciples continued speaking boldly for the Lord. I love it. I love that they come and they spoke in such a way that a great number came to know the Lord. Then here come the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and they're coming up uh, against them, trying to poison their mind. But then in verse 3, the scripture says that the disciples, they continued speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. I'm going to tell you what I know to be true. When you boldly speak the word of God, God will bear witness to his word. In the case of the disciples, he used them to do signs and wonders. And friends, can I just let you know that God still performs signs and wonders today. I just saw it happen this past week. I had the privilege of getting to speak to somewhere around 400 teenagers, and at the end of the message, I gave an invitation for them to give their lives to Christ, and somewhere close to half of them raised their hands to give their lives to Jesus. Praise God for that. Amen? Now, in case you're thinking, how's that a sign or a wonder? <laughs> well, first of all, because I'm a 46-year-old dad who has a dad bod, right? I tell Jody that it's a father figure, but all right. Like, I don't know what's cool in 2023, okay? As a matter of fact, just because I was curious, I thought, yeah, I think I'm kind of cool. I looked up the top 20 billboard, and I didn't know one single song in the top 20 with the exception of Morgan Waller. I know me a little bit of Morgan Waller. Help me, somebody. And what's my point? It wasn't the cool factor. That caused those kids to give their lives to Christ. But what I did was I spoke the word of God with boldness and with conviction and authority. And the Holy Spirit bore witness in the hearts of those teenagers that the word was true. That's what the preaching of the gospel is, church. And by the way, can I just say that I would rather see a hundred youth give their lives to Christ than seeing someone walk on water. And if you would rather see someone walk on water than 100 kids change their eternal destination from hell to heaven, then you and I are reading two different Gospels. Hey, the signs and the wonders and the miracles, they were all for the purpose of men and women coming to know Christ. I mean, at the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts 1-8, when it says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, like... That power that he's given us, that power has come with a purpose. And the purpose is laid out in the same verse. And that is to be a witness. And we see this to be true all throughout the entire book of Acts. 
Because as God moved through the disciples, multitudes came to know Christ. Let me ask you something. What would you be willing to do if you knew that someone would come to Christ as a result? Hmm? Let 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 me ask this. What if it meant that it would cost you something? Like it might cost you being persecuted. It might cost you having to give of your, your, your resources. It might cost you of giving of your time and your energy. Would you say yes? Friends, God is looking for a people who would say yes even before they know what his instructions are. I'm talking about a people who don't need to see the blueprint and don't have to understand why. They are just simply trusting that if God tells them to go, they're like, God, I'm all in. How many of you would say, count me in, Lord? I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll say whatever you want me to say. Huh? See, those are the ones that God will use. Now let's look at verse 8. Verses 4 through 7 shows us the the persecution that they were up against. But now in verse 8, it says, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him. Whenever you minister to someone, little side note here because it hits me, be focused on them. Like this is, I like, because you're all called uh, to do ministry. You know that, right? It's not just the pastor, right? My job is for the equipping of the saints, but then it's your job to go out and to do the ministry. When you're ministering to someone, don't set your phone right up here on the table saying, this is more important, and if someone calls and someone texts, I've got to hit the pause button. Turn that son of a gun off. If I could say that stronger from the pulpit, I would, but turn that son of a gun off. I went to Pastors University last week, and I got to sit under my pastor's pastor. I've been going for the next couple months for an entire week. And you know what he made us do when we got there? He says, pull out your phone. He says, and turn it off. He says, now, 99% of you think that I just said, turn it on vibrate. He says, no, I said, turn it off. And can I tell you what? That week might have been the best week that I've experienced in a long time because I was not distracted. There's that word again. You know where the word distract comes from, Daniel? This is so good. Right? Back in the day, whenever they would go, they were brutal. The Europeans were so brutal in the way that they would kill people. They would do what they called drawn and quartered. Do you know what that is? Where they would tie to each limb, and then they would get on horses and pull and just pull the people apart. Well, there was a word that they used for that. You know what that word was called? Distraction. You see, when you're pulled in so many different ways at once, you're distracted, and it always leads to death. That wasn't in the notes. That's out of the spirit for you. So the scripture says that he intently looked at him. Stay focused whenever you're ministering to people. Don't get distracted. Look at them. You do that, you'll start seeing people come to know Christ. You'll start seeing God move. Paul wasn't distracted. He intently looked at him. Seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice. I know I'm a little loud sometimes, but man, why you got to be so powerful? Paul was loud! <laughs> got you in case you were asleep. That's the reason I do it sometimes. Some of y'all are asleep because so I get a little loud. Right? But Paul said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. 
And he sprang up and began walking. Mm. Now, stop here for a minute. You do know that God still heals in the same manner as we just read right here, right? Did you know that? I know that some of you may be thinking, well, I've never seen anything like that. Well, uh, I have. How many of you would say, by the raise of hands, you've seen someone miraculously healed before? Put your hand up just for a minute so everyone can see it. Put it up real high. Okay, I especially want those of you that says, man, I've never seen that before. Look around. Put your hand down. Let me ask this question. How many of you would say, I have had God heal me miraculously before? Would you put your hand up? Put your hand up high so everybody can see it's important. Look around this room. That's more than half of this church. Now, do you think that half of this church is lying? No, they're not. They've experienced something maybe that you've not experienced yet, but guess what? It's time that the church now experiences to where we get to the point to where my, my prayer is that in a year from now, when we ask that question, every hand in this place raises up. God wants us to be able to experience the miraculous because he still heals. Church, he never stopped healing. He is the great physician. He's the great physician. Like, he didn't lose his, that title whenever the last apostle died. Hello? And so here we see God use Paul to heal a crippled man, and along come the bushwhackers. <laughs> and at first... The crowd, they cheered Paul and Barnabas, calling them gods. But as soon as Paul set the record straight, let them to know that they were just men just like them and that it was God who was doing the healing, uh, not the, the miracles that they were seeing being happened by men, then Paul told them that they should turn from the things of the world and turn to God. And just like that, they turned on them. Verse 19 says that they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, just in case you didn't know, <clears throat> stoning wasn't something that they would do just to teach a lesson to someone. Like, stoning was for the purpose of killing someone. So they thought that Paul was dead. And personally, I, I believe that Paul probably was dead, but God raised him up and restored his life. Why? Because Paul still had a purpose to fulfill. Verse 20 says, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. This verse, verse 20, it convicts me, church. It challenges me at my core. Because the Bible says that Paul got up, went into the city, the same city where the people were that just tried to kill him, went into the city on that same day, and then on the very next day, he went with Barnabas to Derby. I mean, the man was just beaten to death, left outside of the city to die, but now we see him getting up, going into the city, and the very next day, he travels 60 miles to Derby. And keep in mind that we're talking about a first century road trip here. Not a smooth ride on Interstate 95 from Jacksonville down to Daytona, okay? But then what does he do when he gets there? The very next day, he preaches the gospel to the people of Derby. Then he strengthens and encourages the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, 
we must enter the kingdom of God. Then he fasted. So what you been doing lately? Hmm? I mean, I'm asking myself that question right now. Chris, what you been doing lately? I mean, I read Acts 14 and all that Paul went through and then all that he continued to do the same day and the very next day, but yet here in America, like, Christians won't even go to church if the weather is bad. And they won't come to church if the weather's too good either. Look, there's a reason I named this series All In. And that's because God is looking for a people who would be willing to push in all the chips. He's looking for a people who aren't focused on what they can get, but what they can give. I mentioned this last week, but I believe with all my heart that in 2023 that we are going to see a revival. But I can tell you this, fair-weathered Christians will only see it from the sidelines. Look, God is looking to use a people who would say, here am I, Lord, send me. Practically, what I mean by that is, church, it's time. It's time for us to live what we just read about. It's time for us to be alert, constantly looking for an opportunity to share the gospel with someone. And it's time for us to be a people of prayer, fasting, and the word. Come on, how many of you are with me this morning? How many of you will say, I am all in? If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet with me. I'm going to lead us in a time of worship. And the worship team's going to lead us in song. After that, Pastor Daniel's going to come up and he's going to lead us in communion together. But I want to ask you to pray with me right now, if you would. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you sent it to bring healing to our lives. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the examples that you've given us through the lives of those in the early church. Father, I pray that we emulate the things that we've read. Precious Holy Spirit, continue the work that you've began in each of our lives. May we become more and more untangled from the things of this world. And may we be more and more aligned with your plans and your purposes. Let revival flames burn in our hearts, burn in our souls, and may it start a fire that cannot be quenched. For yours and yours alone, O oh God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all the church of Jesus says, amen.